Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio, where each week we talk to a musician, artist, author, or other creative Mississippian working in the arts across the state. I'm your host, Melody Moody Thordis, Director of Grants at the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today I'm speaking with Executive Director of the Hattiesburg Arts Council, Rebecca Johnson. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I want to talk about some of the work that you've been doing in Hattiesburg. But before we kind of get into that, I want to know more about you um, your life, you as an artist. So where did you grow up? Okay. I, I grew up in, in Bethany, Oklahoma, which was a suburb of Oklahoma City. And uh, I was a preacher's kid, the youngest of five. And uh, I was around a lot of music. Singing was sort of our, our thing to do. Family, kind of the Von Trapp family, I guess, is, mm. is singing and uh, all the harmony and all. And um, I... I went to school in Indiana University for my undergrad and, and studied in cello with uh, Jano Starker there, and who is a wonderful teacher, and it's a great music program, and went on to Rice at graduate school and then um, Michigan State, and, and then I ended up uh, here after I did a lot of other playing and performing. But um, as a child in Oklahoma, I was crazy about art and um, especially crazy about just those. I don't know if you remember flare pens when they mm. came out that all we really had were crayons and, and uh, colored pencils. You know, uh-huh. So when these little flare pens, which now are just markers, right? <laughs> they, that was just, I thought that was the coolest thing. And was constantly doing anything from macrame to whatever. Um, and in Oklahoma, where the uh, Hobby Lobby is, that's where their main headquarters are. I worked in the first Hobby Lobby that ever was. So that was oh, my wow. cool thing. Of course, I never really <laughs> took home a paycheck because I like to do art. So <laughs> I just made everything I could. Um, but that launched me into some wonderful things. But really, when I was five, I... Uh, I had a a, a, my, a cello that was put in the back seat of my car after my grandfather died, and I drove with my parents from Nebraska back to Oklahoma, and uh, and I thought I, I want to play this. And it was lucky for me that when I was ten, they started in our public school in Oklahoma a uh, a, a string program. Oh. So, so this child um, had belonged to your grandfather. Yes, and you decided on the way home. That's that, that's my that, thing. Wow. Well, and it, and it was uh, it was actually strong as an old bass, and um, it it they played it on in slugrass bands and stuff. So it wasn't you know your polished perfect little instrument, and um, we got it kind of fixed up to work. But it was it became my friend. It really did. Um, I loved uh, just getting to know it, and I would play with tape recorders, those little cassette tape uh-huh. recorders, and have duos and things with myself. And um, so, anyway, I, I just loved it so much, and um, and now I'm as what I'm doing now. I kind of see where where I'm belonging, I guess, mm-hmm. for some of the things that came to me in my life. Um, just the right place at the right time, but particularly 
the mentors and people that um, sort of coached you along the way, whether they were teachers or, or even in a church where they would, you know, make you perform for a lot of mm-hmm. things. And, and that gave me a lot of opportunities to, to, to prosper in what I was interested in, you know. Did you ever um, try other musical instruments, or do you felt like you found your thing and stuck with it? Well, I, w- I took piano, but having four other siblings before me, I had a really good ear, so I would do the same. It was the same lady. Mrs. Mossipus was her name anyway. <laughs> I, <laughs> but she would uh, teach us the music, but I didn't read the music because I knew it by ear, and then finally she made me quit because I wasn't interested in reading music. Uh-huh. And I think about that. There's a lot of kids that just don't really want to read music, and yet they have some great talent. But I did finally learn to read <laughs> <laughs> music. Um, but yeah, that was that's interesting. I know. I know. Uh, my mom played piano, and she never really learned to do it by ear. She only would read the music, mm-hmm. and so we'd try to jam, and you know, couldn't quite, quite get there. Yeah. So that's really interesting to me that you were the opposite. Well, now I have to really turn my brain off if I, if I want to um, do some improvisation. It's once you've learned an instrument from the technical uh, scales and doing all these mal- uh, patterns and mm-hmm. things, you get stuck in them, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden you want to do something improvisational, and you're like, "Oh, wait, I I don't really know the cello that way." And so I'm, I'm learning. I'm I have an electric cello now that, um, cool. believe it or not, I got it at Hudson's back in. <laughs> Let's see, 1996, and it was a a great find, and I play it all the time. I mean, morning and evening, it's my my little friend. Um, (laughs) And I can plug it into a loop station and play, um, you know, other parts like the the piano parts and things like that and play along with them. And uh, so, oh, I love that. It's a lot of I can't wait to cook. Convince you to teach me how to do loops. That is so You would love it. In fact, I'm playing for a friend of ours wedding in Vermont, and uh, I'm having a lot of fun playing, you know, different things for the wedding and the bride and the, you know, the little flower girls. But it's all doing with loop and playing the melodies on top, and um, it's kind of a one-man band. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I really like that yeah. idea, though. Yeah. Um, so what about, um, tell me about some of the groups you've played with. Oh, boy. I have been really fortunate since um, when I moved to Hattiesburg. Um, there were so many musicians that were in, either on faculty or even some of the grad and doctorate students. And uh, I was in a group with a harpsichordist and oboe and violinist, and it was uh, Promenade is the name of the group. We played mostly all Baroque music and traveled around a lot and did so many wonderful things. And then um, another group that I, I just thoroughly loved, and it was Trio Bolero, and it was with two guitarists, and uh, both classical guitarists and cello, and there's not really much music at all for two guitars and cello, mm-hmm. so the guitarist who is from Croatia and his wife, he wrote all the parts out, and some of your favorite melodies and, and pieces, and so we performed quite a bit, and we were artists roster uh, from Mississippi Arts Commission, played all, all over the place. 
and uh, and even I have a recording that we did when I was pregnant with our first child, and uh, you know, just little things like that. But they have since moved uh, to Virginia, and then unfortunately, the harpsichordist that I love so much and um, that was on faculty at USM had had cancer and, and passed away. So that kind of ended those two groups, and I'm I'm pretty spoiled. I Having been with these groups that you just know so well, you know how to give a cue with just an eyebrow, or uh, it, you, you're spoiled because mm-hmm. that's that. It's like a sibling or something. You don't have to speak much, and you understand each other's gestures. And uh, so I guess my loop station <laughs> is my new partner here. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear more people talk about that connection you have with bandmates of where you can just make a gesture and they understand. I had a bandmate. He would he would uh, shake his head no, and I took it as a cue to stop doing you know what I'm doing he finally <laughs> said no that's I'm not I'm into I'm not it I'm grooving on it yeah. yeah exactly so you can get so you know so so centered on what you're at the movements of your bandmates that I learned okay but also maybe clarify with them if you think you're right. you're understanding something but I think that's really interesting um communicating with them in that way so um so you're saying now you're you're mostly doing the loops and, you know, just exploring just in that exploring way. exploring a lot. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I'm enjoying this electric cello for playing box suites, which they were mm-hmm. written for cello. And um, why I'm enjoying them on the electric is because I really feel like they were meant to be played in, in wonderful acoustic spaces, probably with plaster and, and or in churches and so the electric cello, you can kind of create that feeling, and it makes it a little easier to play, which it would even on a, a, an acoustic instrument. But this sort of gives you that opportunity. And um, the box suites, I recently had an opportunity to go hear Yo-Yo Ma play the whole entire six suites uh, at Red Rock in, in Colorado. Oh, wow. And... Uh, and I realized how much they they have I've grown up with them since I started when I was ten, and I don't think there's many days that go without me playing at least something from the box suites, and they're like puzzles. You know, I was trying to figure out why do I like these so much beyond just the music. Like, why am I intrigued with it? it does it changes every day when you play them a a a, a, a rhythm a certain way or a timing um they're almost like little conversations that you have just like we are having now and you're like nodding your head and you know like, uh-huh you know this kind of thing um with music and uh i when i heard him play what blew me away was there were so many people there and he never stopped and he never got a, a, not one intermission and these are these six suites are they're I, just to play one of them is a, a big task, really, mm-hmm. all the way through, and uh, and no one moved, no one left, no one, you know, like oh boy, we need to, you know, have a Coca Cola and go to the, you know, <laughs> something, <laughs> get some uh, break, and and it was fascinating how much he brought everyone totally into it, and this is a huge stage with these ginormous, you know, rocks, these red rocks, and one cellist just sitting in the middle. And the lights, it was like those hot uh, lights from um, heat, what are they, the heat lightning kind of oh, thing. Right. And that was all happening while he's playing and the wind was kind of blowing. And um, 
and he just was amazing. And and it was just like I don't know. It made me so excited that that something that was written so long ago is still so amazing and, and could be so captivating oh for people in yes. that. I can't imagine that being in Red Rocks. I've only been to Red Rocks when there wasn't a concert going on. Yeah. And just to even imagine that for one person. It was incredible. Wow. It was it was a, a life-changing experience because I think he only played those in maybe six different places. So it was one of those, you know, I'm getting my ticket. You know, uh-huh. I was right up in maybe the the... I don't know, 30th row or something. I got the oh, best wow. tickets I could. I just, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, and it, it was something something else. And I've, I've met him a few, to- a few times and gone to festivals. And him, one thing he did that was amazing when um, I went to a cello festival, and he played a piece for the, it was called The Cellist of Sarajevo. And it was about the cellist during the, the war who, after his apartment complex, a bakery had been blown up, and every day at four o'clock was just when it happened. He would sit with his tuxedo and play his cello. Well, someone read about this in New York Times and then composed a piece, and he wrote it for Yo-Yo Ma, and Yo-Yo Ma premiered it. And there was this guy that walked in, and he was all in like leather pants, looked like he was maybe a motorcyclist or something. And he came walking in, and it turned out that was the guy. And uh, and he's just playing, and when he when Yo-Yo Ma finished this piece, he was just the the cellist was just you know sobbing, and uh, so then when I saw him, he actually came to Hattiesburg to play with the orchestra, and I said I really would love to get that piece, but I don't know how to find it, and he sent it to me. Wow. Yo-Yo Ma did, so that was really nice. Oh, that is I a know, great story. and and <laughs> just he yeah. sent it to you. Wow, that's mm-hmm. amazing. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people across Mississippi. Today, I'm talking to musician and community leader Rebecca Johnson. Um, on the break, you heard from Trio Bolero, a group um, where Rebecca played cello. Um, and we talked about that a little bit before the break. So, um, I want to switch gears now to talk a little bit about your work as director of the Hattiesburg Arts Council. Mm-hmm. So people listening statewide may or may not be familiar. So can you tell us just a little bit about maybe its history, how it got started, and, you know, its mission and vision? Okay. Um, well, uh, the Hattiesburg Arts Council um, began in 1970, so in, in September so next year, it will be our 50th anniversary. I'm very excited about that. And it was, it was really organized by a group of people who wanted to make sure that um, the arts, all of the arts, were represented for the community. There were the two universities, um, and a lot of things were happening and taking place in the university, and they wanted to make sure the community, w- that we were actually able to get theater and things for children. Um, at that time, they had a lot more uh, uh, volunteers that would actually go into each school and make sure every grade, you know, received either, you know, learning about poetry, and then in, by your third grade, you learned how to make pinch pots, and fourth grade, you did theater, you know, that kind of thing. Um, unfortunately, we, we can't 
do all of that. Um, but what I, what I love about the Arts Council and why I think I'm, I'm drawn to that position, because I mean, obviously I'm, I'm a cellist, but what I think I'm also is, is an, a broad artist. I have an interest in almost all everything that goes on arts. And um, I think the difference between like a theater group or a choral group is that the Arts Council is really supposed to be uh, about all of the different disciplines of the arts and making sure the community is having opportunities to get to know all of them. So I usually um, find that it, it's a it's a challenge, and I like challenges, and I love to bring people together. Um, what I especially enjoy is the artist's um, getting to be seen and heard and not being alone. You know, you're alone most of the time uh, when you're making your art, whether it's visual art or practicing your cello. And and people don't really know the inner workings. And so I've, I have really enjoyed putting uh, maybe two artists together in a show or um, – uh, we've done uh, quilt quilt work and then put the AIDS quilt and then had a woman from that does some African storytelling with her quilts and you know where you're 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 kind of combining an inner disciplines and uh, it, it's it's really I, I enjoy creating these little uh, I don't know. They're almost like little parties. <laughs> yes, thinking you know? the word happenings. Or yeah, something. they're <laughs> parties. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, sometimes I do feel it's a little much when you feel like you're a caterer sometimes for <laughs> sure. all these receptions. and um, But it's worth it when you see people that don't normally get to be together in a group come together. And the same with the artists coming together. We've had... We had an open studio for several years and um, would let uh, these different artists would come to that studio for eight weeks and they were allowed to have, it was a gallery space and they were allowed to work in there. They could create their own gallery moments. And we had several that have really taken off from that. And um, one was a women's collective in Hattiesburg. And now they were brought for one of our um, programs to uh, combined with the Gulf Coast women's, oh, they happen to be women, but collective, and they formed a group together um, for a show. And then, of course, our group in Hattiesburg were invited to Gulf Coast, and then they did a show. And I'm just seeing that by giving them that opportunity, they got to know each other better. They had to get really organized, and that's uh, they were already formed, but that was the next step does yeah. that make sense but what I also enjoy is um, like we do a, a, an amateur photo competition for children and adults and it's unbelievable and we had last year and the year before we had over 150 photographs brought in and they're all framed and seeing that people are nervous and they're excited it's like their little baby they took care of it and they really cherish it and um and, and they you know you get ribbons and you know first place second place but the judges they take it very seriously and they walk around and explain to the the amateur photographers what they can do to make things better and um and then we have the high school visual art and we have uh an exhibit with all these different high schools and concerts um, for children. And um, 
One that I love is every October, every Thursday in October, outside of the City Hall, we have a brown bag concert series. And I love being able to find different groups that want to play and making sure you have maybe a little gospel and you have guitar, you have, you know, jazz, just a little bit of everything. And um, and you find that some of the same people come every year and they dance and sing along. And I don't know. I just love all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it <laughs> sounds like it. It, it almost sounds to me like you you may see yourself as almost more of a facilitator of Probably. of the arts, you know, across the city and uh, almost a curator as well. So mm-hmm. it sounds like a lot of the work that you guys do is um, not just like some might some people might think it's just like galleries you know mm-hmm, kind of a mm-hmm. visual arts opening but it sounds like you're you are trying to tap into all the different kinds of arts and i'm sure you guys see yourself as a resource for local artists yeah. as well and not just creating events for the community to engage right. in and and i wish that I could do more. I mean, it's very hard. I think sometimes you get people saying, you know, my daughter is a really good artist. Who can I send to teach her? And um, that's something we got to work towards, but you can't do it all. Mm -hmm. And I really wish we could. Especially Um, for an entire city. I mean, that's 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 quite a task. Yeah, it really is. But there are all these missing pieces that need to be put together. The good thing is in Hattiesburg, it, it really is an arts hub. I, mm-hmm. I find that because we have two universities, um, it, it seems that there's a tremendous amount of talent, a tremendous amount of uh, students that are are able to stay and leave either that or they leave something behind um, for everyone. But um, we're hoping to keep more artists in Hattiesburg, and that means having more jobs, too, right. for them. and. That's, again, another thing I wish I could do. I could say, yeah, I'd like to hire three more people to work for the Arts Council. But, you know, as you know, money. (laughs) (laughs) It takes money to do that. Absolutely, because at the end of the day, you're a nonprofit trying to make it work. Yeah. I I think the most challenging part of nonprofit, and I really didn't understand nonprofit until I took this job, but every year, it's like you're a politician that you have to start all over mm-hmm. and you have to start at zero pretty mm-hmm. much financially and and kind of beg for the money <laughs> mm-hmm. and even though people love what you do you rely on um that if you don't ask you won't get it i mean it's that's not right. like people are just going to write some check and that's pretty exhausting and i do understand that for nonprofits, you do burn out pretty easily and i've hit my highs and my lows um, I think I'm kind of at a medium sp- place now, but but it's it, what's really important is that people see when when nonprofits, um, especially in the arts, are asking for funds to maintain these programs. It's it's because not because we're poor, it's because we want to keep a, a town very um, alive. And the more creative your town is or your city is, the more people want to be there, and also. As we've learned from music and, and, and art in general from educational points of view, um, it, it stimulates growth, and it, and it really does make you smarter. And um, when you read books about music, for example, um, there is more that happens in a person's brain 
when you're playing an instrument or you're singing or even just singing in choir or you're at church or whatever because you have rhythm, you have lyrics, you have um, notes that you're reading, so your eye is doing one thing, the physical aspect. Um, all of those things take place in totally different parts of your brain. And so you're stimulating that day in and day out and day in and day out, and it really does keep you alert for all the other things you have to learn. And so, But I also really like there's teamwork. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it, music and art, it, it's a team. You have to really need each other to keep things going in our towns. <laughs> yeah, I can't help but think about um, this TED Talk I saw about, I don't know if you've seen it, about um, nonprofits um, being unable sometimes to innovate because they are having to prove their worth so much um, that unlike a startup or certain businesses, the risk um, isn't really able to be taken mm -hmm. uh, because, you, you know, you're being donated money and you need to kind of see the return on that money. Mm -hmm. But when when I'm hearing you talk about like this, particularly this creative side of nonprofits, it just would be so amazing to be able to really kind of not be held back by something like oh. that, you know, not be held back by right. by. Issue, financial issues because I know like I know you well enough to know like there's ideas and ideas and ideas coming that if you could implement them you oh, would yeah, you know it's no absolutely. shortage of of thought well and just know? just to send out like this just last week we sent out 1300 um, letters for mm -hmm. our membership and, and inviting people to join and you re you're dependent on those 1300 but you're also you have to write the letter and every year you have to write a new letter and make it a little better and maybe you know learn how do you I really let people know how do I tug at their heart um and what you really want to do is just do it and yeah. then say come on you know yeah. help us out but Join it us, does, right. yeah it doesn't always work that way but i i that's why you have also the Mississippi Arts Commission and you have the National Endowment for the Arts. Um, thank God that, that that has happened. I mean, really, it was like in the 70s. That's right. Right when the Hattiesburg Arts Council started, that was when I don't remember who, what president it was that said, look, you know, we need to put aside a certain amount of money to, to invest in the creativity in our, our country. Mm -hmm. And because of that, look what we've gotten. Um, you know, look at all the sculptures and all the amazing museums and none of that could happen. And when you think about NPR radio, like well, all that you learn and when you hear that somebody wants to actually say, oh, no, we don't want to fund that anymore. What? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you want to educate people and, and help them learn about all the amazing things that happen among creatives? Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that, you know, I thought about that when you were talking about when Hattiesburg Arts Council started. That's when Mississippi Arts Commission started. That's yeah. when NEA started like 50 years ago. We are so lucky that people said, no, we're going to set aside money for this mm -hmm. because this matters to people, to communities, to economic development, to exactly. growth, to all these things. I mean, we're left 50 years later to try to continue that message. But Boy, am I glad! <laughs> like you know, the, right. you know, the fifty years ago, that there and was... and will people still be doing that? I mean, like you're right. you're younger than I am, and I'm so thrilled to go. Okay, good. She's she's <laughs> up on it. You know, who's gonna, who am I going to hand this down right. to? You know, um, it, it, and I think I think it's just fabulous that that there's the support that we get. I I 
I do worry about the older generation not being around much longer right now mm-hmm. um, who invested in this from That's the right. 1970s. And they understand it. They were on the board or they attended all these various things, and they see its purpose. So mm-hmm. they're willing to write that check. But, um, you know, there's... Now we're spending it on the internet and online, and um, it, you don't even write a check anymore. Like right. we're going, I was oh say, my the gosh, fundraising has yeah, completely it's changed. totally yeah. different. And um, I, I still believe in in young people. I think, in fact, they're starting to kind of get. It's some of this is getting old. Like mm-hmm. even just to see that some of these malls are not making it anymore. It's like mm-hmm. maybe we can get back to the the, the simplicity of one on one and learning from each other. Um, I do miss teaching, though. I miss mm-hmm. teaching cello. Um, I, I really think if, if, if there's something I can introduce people to is that it's really good to have your child learn an instrument because with everything they're doing, sitting in a classroom of 20, 30 kids, it's nothing compared to a one-hour of someone or 30 minutes of someone, you know, giving you hands-on time, really teaching you how to do something and you see the progress and you get to play a concert or whatever to show it off. Um, but, but that they, kids are not getting some of that and just that they're put in a room with someone to do that. And I'm thrilled that I had that in my childhood and I've always loved teaching. In fact, my students that I had at USM, um, they all still keep in touch with me, and really all of them are professionals, which is really exciting. Oh, yeah, exciting. that's got to make you feel great. That does, yeah, that's, it that's, does. That's, that's in, in Mexico, in uh, Beijing, and in Taiwan, and, um, and, and wouldn't you know, I'm here in, in, in Hattiesburg, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, these are people that came from all over the country to study, all over the world to study in Mississippi, and they go back. And they're teaching. A lot of them also stay here too, right. and and are working in the public schools or in you know, so everything comes around and makes a difference, I guess. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people living in Mississippi. Today I'm speaking with Rebecca Johnson, a musician and executive director of the Hattiesburg Arts Council. So, Rebecca, we talked a little bit um, before the break about some of the work that the Arts Council has done over the past 50 years. Um, Well, almost, I should say 19, I guess. Um, So... I want to talk about some of the more recent things you've been working on. Um, you and I share a similar um, approach to our work. Some some would call creative placemaking, um, but really looking at involving the community more fully. That's how I think mm-hmm. of it mm-hmm. um, into the arts. And I want to talk particularly about um, an inspiration for a project that you had um, called the Juke. So tell our listeners. Um, kind of about your your approach to this kind of work and then about kind of how that came out in the creation of the Duke. Okay. Well, I was fortunate to um, be invited from Mississippi Arts Commission to apply for a scholarship for, well, it was creative, was it placemaking? Yeah, it was yeah. creative placemaking. It was a creative um, placemaking conference. conference in the South. It was in Chattanooga. 
And um, I, I was really looking forward to going and, and just seeing. I hadn't been to, I've been to music conferences and that kind of thing, teaching and all. Um, and it was so much fun. And I enjoyed seeing what everyone else was doing. And and while I, it's the same with music. When you hear a master class, you're watching someone else play and you learn just as much from them as you would if you we're reading a book or whatever. You learn more, actually. So being in that environment, your um, brain is just active. And I went to one of these things. In fact, you were at it. it was uh-huh. a, and I don't even remember one of the workshops, but what it was called. But uh-huh. they did a thing called Crazy 8, and we were supposed to come up with an idea, and then you expand on it and expand on it and keep doing And there's a, a building across the way um, from the cultural center where my office is that we have um, now, the city has owned uh, ownership of now, and it was the old newspaper building, and it was uh, given to the city so it could become a art center. And in, in that space, of course, the parking lot is right across from the building, and there was this old hut that was the smoker's hut. I'm sure that's what it was because it had a, a bench a, you oh, know, for a, the old newspaper yeah for the newspaper uh-huh. and uh, it was pretty rickety and it was like yeah and there was some there were some holes in the roof right at the time and so we really couldn't go right in and do anything in that building um, until they could get those repairs which they've done now but anyway um, so I thought well let's do something outside the building and let's just see and that was one of the things with creative placemaking is like you may have an idea but how are you going to know Really, are people really going to do something? How do you get to know these people that live in this area of, of town? So we took it, um, and I asked to make it into a juke joint. This and for those who, who are, just so people can imagine it, since this is the radio, um, I would almost describe it as almost like a, a gazebo-shaped yeah. um outdoor right. structure so that's kind of where you're starting right so it's a gazebo yeah. with open four sides mm-hmm. and this amazing artist his name is Wes Hansen he is actually in theater and uh, design for stage design at USM and uh, someone put me in touch with him and, and I gave him this idea and said I really want to make this into this live juke space where my idea was to have kids and people in the neighborhoods be able to come and have a, a amplifier and a keyboard and a microphone, which we don't have the microphone yet. But anyway, um, I'm, I'm afraid it will get stolen. <laughs> but for people to come in and just make music anytime they wanted. Um, so they did. He not only built this, you know, to accommodate an a amplifier and Bluetooth and a, a weighted keyboard and all, but with all this ironwork, he created amazing space. It, it's um, it has all these different visual. Uh, memoirs, um, anything from the uh, silhouette of an eagle for the, you know, eagles for the USM, and it has this beautiful man playing uh, guitar, and it's named after um, the the, it's Roosevelt Graves, Blind Roosevelt Graves, and his juke band in Mississippi. In 1936, I believe, or 34, he was in Hattiesburg recording and they recorded this music that then later was put in the um, uh, Rolling Stones review for the history of rock and roll. And it says beginnings. And it says Hattiesburg, Mississippi. 
And it was that recording that you first hear in 1930 before, you know, I mean, Elvis wasn't even in diapers. They were playing these, you know, wrists, the, the, the actual rock wrists. And, you know, part of this creative placemaking is find out your history. Yes. So that's what we did. And I'm thinking, well, how do we keep it going? Because most of that happened, I'm sure, on porches and backyards and whatever. Um, it's been so hot lately that it's not happening as often, but it's been fun to see people I'll come out of my office and a guy, he comes once a week and he just plays electric guitar and I've seen kids in there and they made recordings. We had a little contest this summer. Um, and it's just available from eight thirty in the morning until 10 at night. And, and you can, it's got a good amplification uh-huh. system. And well, you've seen it. And on the top is this huge, you know, uh, weather vane. It's a ginormous weather vane made out of uh, uh, bicycle parts and things. It's a horse. So, anyway, but which ties into uh, the, the I think into Hattiesburg as well with the Longleaf Trace and oh, kind of the, the the newer history there. Um, so so yes. So for people who again are imagining, basically you could walk up Kurt wrong with nothing. You mm-hmm. could just walk up to this kind of gazebo shaped thing mm-hmm. and play music yeah. and 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 you can grab Bluetooth. an instrument you could mm-hmm. plug in plug in your iPod yeah there's a little whatever. drum and right. there's a little xylophone and um you know I thought I I think it, it takes a while for things to catch on and uh gradually it does um but it's it's really it's a sculpture that is um, interactive, mm-hmm. which I wanted it to be musically interactive. I kind of imagine people doing like um, spoken word and things mm-hmm. like that, but um, I don't know. I, I guess I really thought more of the ambient neighborhood of these kids kind of pulling up with their little bicycles and showing sure. up. And I think it takes a little trust, although they're, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I think people are sometimes scared, like, are we allowed to use it, even though I've put signs up and Anyway, yeah, but I mean, that is to me part of what innovation is, part of what, um, you know, I was kind of saying, like taking risks, like trying something new is kind of saying, well, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, it may play out completely differently than you had originally imagined, but people could also come up with ideas that you could have never imagined. But it did bring attention to the fact that this music was happening and recorded there. And that, that it's it's in the history books, you yeah. know. Um, and I know everybody say, oh, it happened in the Delta or here or there. But everyone has to claim something. <laughs> so right. We'll, we'll right. claim it. We'll claim well, it. Well, I love right. that it's got a connection to the history and to the community now. Right. And then uses the arts to do that. And that is, you know, to me, again, what placemaking is all about. Mm-hmm. It's using the arts and, 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 you know, at the intersection of all those things. So um, another project that is more, even more recent, uh, tell me about an award that you recently got okay. from the National Endowment for the Arts. Well, when you kind of transition from this idea of the juke and making music, um, being a musician myself, I, um, I really want to give opportunities for kids to have a competition and to be able to understand the, the music industry mm-hmm. in the entertainment industry I um, it would be like being an artist but you never really understood that that you could be an architect and be an artist I mean unless you're really exposed to something so it's the same with music and uh, a good friend of mine Jeff Rossia who's a, who works at USM in the um, uh, Matt it's the 
School of Communication there, and he's in the recording studio. He asked me if I would like to do a project with him where kids can win a competition and have the opportunity to record and and have that and uh, um, something that they not only get the hands on but they get to see what it's really like. Well, ideally, and a takeaway. yeah, a takeaway uh, yeah. for sure. Well, it's now evolved into a, a program, and it's called Put Me in the Mix. And it starts October 1st, but right now we're doing a call for young artists. It's for teens, thirteen, age 13 to 19. Um, we've limited it to two counties, but I don't know. Next time I think we'll go further if we do it. Um, I applied for a grant for it and decided even if I didn't get the grant, I'm going to scrounge the money and I'm going to try to figure it out. But we just found out last week that... We did get this grant, and it's an awesome grant. It was one that we were invited to uh, to participate in, and so it was. It's a national endowment for the arts, and it is called Art Engagement in American Communities. And so the cool thing about this is the the funds that we receive. It's a ten thousand dollars with a ten thousand matching, which can be in kind, and um, we're. Paying mentors to work with kids and especially, again, wanting to focus on those kids that maybe cannot afford lessons or their parents just don't think it's worth them doing and they have a passion for it. Um, what I'm, I'm learning a lot from this, though, because um, we're doing the call for artists and I'm starting to see, again, the responsibility of adults and mentors and um, teachers that these young kids, 13, 14, 15, even maybe 18, are not just going to go and make a little video of themselves and send it unless someone approves it mm-hmm. and says, you're really good, you know, you should make this video and do this, let's do it, let's do it. And um, so now we're kind of realizing we've got to go around to some of these schools and just say, can we take a video of you? Would you like to be a part of this? Would you want to do this? Um and encouraging the teachers to, to really get this young talent. Or, or even the churches, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they're such amazing singers and guitarists. And um, I think they're a little timid sometimes to want to do this. And But the main thing that I really want them to have is the opportunity to go and learn about broadcasting, about pre- and post-recording, production, Um, And so they were going to get to do touring of USM and that facility, um, learn about degrees and about scholarships available. And then, oh, the recording that they get to win from this competition will be um, aired and broadcast on the radio and they'll get to see the radio, how that's working. You know, I mean, I don't know how you learned. I'm I'm looking at at Kevin over here. But, you know, you really exposure is everything. If I hadn't had a cello in the backseat of my car, I wouldn't play the cello i i just wouldn't i don't think i would have even though i, I know i would have played a music instrument but, sure but just but that, that opportunity and that even the ability to yeah know that something is a possibility exactly and 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 at this age if you start learning the language of it it's not so intimidating when you start to try to explain to your parents that yes i really do want to go into the entertainment industry i really do want to be in film or i want to be in recording um 
And I think the more that, that we take them seriously, the more they'll take themselves seriously to, to participate in something that will be long-lasting and for their future. Not everyone can be a music major and performer. Just not, it's just not, that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. But they have a passion and love for it, and they need to learn it. And so I'm hoping this, and what I'm actually hoping is not just to limit this to the teens, to have this be public programs so that um, a lot of the mentors that we've talked about to do this work with these kids are all going, we want to learn this. You know, we, I'm a biology major and I'm in a band, but I really don't know what all goes behind the scenes. So, you know. Yeah. You know, I can't help but, um, but connect that to what you're talking about when Hattiesburg Arts Council first started and being in the schools and working with kids and, and you know, you saying we don't do that as much, but what I'm hearing is you do. You do it in a new way um, and approaching what's happening now and what's happening in kids' lives now. And so it's so encouraging. Um, and I just really appreciate you being here and sharing with us uh, the work that you do. Um, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour. If you missed part of the interview or want to listen again, you can go to mpbonline.org backslash Mississippi Arts Hour. And be sure to tune in each week for the Mississippi Arts Hour, a co-production of MPB Radio and the Mississippi Arts Commission.